Uh, let me just see if Osh has here. Yes, Osh is here as well, but I'm just going to make her an organizer. Uh, welcome to this this little workshop we're holding this morning. Um, uh, so, so you don't have to be a member of Al-Anon or Essanon to be here, but it helps, as they say. Um, we covered step one last week. We're going to have a go at covering step two this week. We're going to be covering things, um, the steps from the big book, essentially. But um, um, hopefully with a bit of an Al-Anon and Essanon and other Anon perspective. What does that mean? Well, the step is the same, essentially. Um, so what I'm going to do is very much present a traditional view of the step per the big book. And then we've got three uh, Alan, Alanons and Essanons to come and amplify that. So well, how, how, how does that apply from an Alanon and Essanon perspective? So with no further ado, I'm going to launch straight in. If I've the second I just messed up the screens. Um, where are we? And um, Ellie Shava, can you remember to start the recording? Okay. So once you're recording, Ellie Shava, let me know. This conference will now be recorded. So, thank you. So we now seem to be recording. Wonderful. So step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The chapter in the big book that this concerns is uh, chapter four, we agnostics. And a lot of people find it very baffling chapter. I'm Tim, I'm an alcoholic, by the way, and I'm a lot of other things. We needn't go into the detail of those. Um, people find we agnostics very baffling, but there is an overall uh, arc to the chapter. Um, people understand it different ways, but this is my understanding of the arc. Just to recap where we've got to, uh, step one, it's like the season recap. Um, step one means that if I've got an alcoholic or an addict in my life, I can't stop them drinking or using or moderate the quantity to see any more than they can. Um, I also find myself uh, reacting very peculiarly in relation to the alcoholic and addict uh, with all, all sorts of control and punishment and so on. And I, I can do nothing about it without power greater than myself. So I'm powerless. If I'm powerless, my life is unmanageable because my emotions and my instincts are running my life. I'm not running my life. My life is running me. So my life is unmanageable. Uh, and then you take away the alcoholic and the addict. Well, you've still got a problem. Um, with alcoholism, they say you take the alcohol out of the fruit cake, and you're left with the fruit cake. If you don't come from uh, Great Britain, um, uh, a fruitcake, a heavy winter cake with lots of dried fruit in it, and you pour about a bottle of whiskey into it. Um, and it's the same with the Al-Anon. You take the alcoholic or the Al-Anon out of, out of your life, and you're still left with the maladaptive response, which you see everywhere. Well, I do anyway. I'm 
Um, I was brought up very much in a family affected by alcoholism and addiction. And uh, years later, when I started to encounter alcoholics and addicts in full flood of their alcoholism, all of the software which was installed in me as a child kicked in. It had been dormant for years. Bang, there it was again. So if I've got a problem, any problem whatsoever, um, the problem is either a lack of information or a lack of power. I need to know what to do and I need to have the means to do it. So to solve the problem, I need both. Now, if I have the information, but I'm unable to do it, then I know that lack of power is the problem. This is the first quotation from page 44. Uh, I'm not going to read all of the quotations out, and all of the materials will be made available afterwards uh, during the course of the meeting. As other people are speaking, I'll share links, and lots of stuff will be posted on a blog later on today, so you'll have everything afterwards. I'm not going to read all of the quotations out, but I'm going to read excerpts out. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life was sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. Now, I knew uh, uh, 17 years sober that I knew in principle that I could do nothing to stop the relapsing of my very close friend who was in AA and in the process of relapsing on a regular basis. I knew this intellectually, but I still, as if watching myself in a film, could see myself rushing over to his flat at all times, um, scared to go to bed um, because of what might, you know, I didn't want to turn the phone off in case he needed me <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning for some urgent intervention. Um, knowing the right thing, which I've been telling people for donkey's years, knowing the right thing didn't stop me. I was in the middle of an Al-Anon slip. I didn't drink alcohol. I was in the middle of an Al-Anon slip. So the problem there was not lack of information. It was lack of power. Very straightforward. And power in this, we're not in, when we're looking for a higher power, what we mean is power higher than the power we currently have. And from, from my perspective, uh, what's the power that I need? It's the power to accept what I cannot change and change what I can. Uh, over that summer, I was letting my life go to rack and ruin. I wasn't changing what I could. And I was unable to accept the things I couldn't change, the fact that this person was relapsing and well dying. You know, when someone's body is the wrong temperature, you know that something is seriously wrong and they, they're not long for this world one way or another. So sanity, when it talks about restoration to sanity in step two, it's a restoration to a being able to supply, to apply the serenity prayer, to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can. And I, I was given this list, and these are very useful lists. What can't I change? The nature of alcoholism and addiction, the course of another person's disease, the course of another person's recovery, the laws of physics. Um, this may be a surprise to some of you that you can't change the laws of physics, but believe you me, you can't. There are only 24 hours in a day. 
Um, there was a story. There was a story about uh, uh, a teacher who gave each student an hour a day, and he had twenty-four students. And someone came to him and said, "Can you teach my student, my my son?" And he said, uh, "Well, I, I, of course I can. I, but my guarantee is I give everyone an hour a day." And she said, "But." is you've already got 24 students how can you have an extra student he said oh i'll get up an hour earlier and that's my answer to everything i, I always think i can fit more in i can't um the thoughts that occur to me what i think of i can't change those how you feel i can't change that how i feel and the past what can i change what i believe what I do with the thoughts that occur to me, that's what I think about and what I do. But, but as we said, I can change those only if I'm given power. Um, so I think this is pretty straightforward now. The problem I have is lack of power. Now, the next point is we need to know that power is available. This is not an abstract question of, you know, did the Big Bang just happen or did God press a button? you know, one of one or the other. This is not a, this is we're, we're not interested in those questions. We're interested in, in this. Has someone else had the same problem as me and had it solved? That's all. Everything else can come later. Go and join a class if you want to know the theological stuff. There are lots of classes out there. Um, here is the quotation from page 11 of the big book. So the trouble is with the steps in the big book is that it's not clean. There are elements of lots of different steps scattered all over the place. This means you have to read the whole book. Sorry about that. It, but it's a project. You, you all love projects. I know that. So you can add that to your list and get up an hour earlier to do that every morning. So it began, it began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past, here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. And I'll tell you what the miracle is in my life. My phone goes off halfway through the evening and it doesn't come on again till the next morning. And I sleep well. I don't worry about who needs me in the middle of the night. If, if someone has a crisis, they'll have to call someone who's up in the middle of the night. This is sanity. And this part of step two, I think I get from going to meetings and hanging out with people in recovery. And it talks on page 58 about our stories disclosed in a general way. Our stories, which are very detailed, make general disclosures. Number one, what I used to be like. Some people say what it used to be like. There is no it. It's what I used to be like. What they did, the 12 steps, what they're like now. I see other people have acquired power. Power to do what? Power to apply the serenity prayer. Accept with grace the things you cannot change have the courage to change the things you can now if that power is there everything has a source but you don't need to worry about the source or understand the source um you don't need to understand physics to to, to boil water uh you just need to um uh turn the cooker on or, or boil the kettle 
you can experience power. You can go to a meeting and experience it. And the mechanisms are clear. The 12 steps is established. It's not luck or magic which restores people's sanity. It's a system. Uh, the next bit is very straightforward. Uh, if there's something which works for others, it will work for me. Very, very simple. And, and the difficulty here is that I will think my case is different. And this is where meetings come in as well, that I listen to people. I go to enough meetings and I hear my own story told back to me so many times. I would have to be very brave indeed to assert that I'm so different that God can't help me. You know, puny little God can't help great old me. Well, that's, uh, that's placing myself as greater than the power which created me in the first place. This is clearly an authority problem. So I don't have, I have the same biology as other people. Uh, I think we're 92% the same as dormice genetically. The idea that I'm so different from another person that my, my, my great thinking can't be changed, my behavior can't be changed, of course it um, We're all capable of faith. Uh, I love this. Without knowing it, have we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? For did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our own ability to think? Uh, I, here's a good definition of faith. Faith is the courage to commit to and implement action without certainty of result. If I'm certain of the result, I don't need faith. I just need knowledge. If, I, if it's uncertain, I need a bit of courage. And faith and courage are very, very close to each other. Um, now, did, am I capable of faith is a very simple question to solve. I had terrible results from living before I got into recovery in uh, January 19, January, February 1993. Historians are looking into the date. We're still not exactly clear. Um, I, I had terrible results which flowed from my decisions and yet who did I go to for decisions? I went to me. Who's me? The one that got everything wrong in the first place. What's that if not the ability to have faith in something without certain results? So it's very clear. My capacity for faith, idiotic faith, is established. The question is, what am I pointing my faith at? Let's just turn the faith towards something which is more likely to work based on, people talk about blind faith, it's not remotely blind faith. You're in a room of people who've recovered and you can see them. That's open, it's open-eyed faith we're asking for here. Um, and then all in. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or God is nothing. God, uh, God either is or is or God or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Now, from an Al-Anon point of view, what is the self-imposed crisis? A crisis is a turning point. Why is it self-imposed? I had to accept in step one that my problem was not you. My problem was my reaction to you. And as such, the crisis was imposed by me, not by you. And there's only one of me. 
I know it may appear in my mind that there are lots of me up there all arguing with each other, but really there's only one of me. Um, my sponsor talks about abandoning self and abandoning ship. If any part of your body remains on the ship, all of you is on the ship. And it's the same with self. If, if I'm partly staying loyal to my old thinking, all of me is staying loyal to my old thinking. I'm sure I'm not the only person that has been worried by one small thing. For instance, a knob on a drawer in the kitchen which has come off. And who are we going to get to fix it? Because no one will come and fix a, a, a knob. And, and you, can be, you can be upset and worried the whole day. Think one thing, one thing is enough to ruin a whole day. What is a life but days? So I've got to give up completely. Um, and what this is going to mean in practice is adopting this program as a way of life. Now, it's pretty drastic. But if you got to the point that you say to yourself in step one, nothing could be worse than what I've been experiencing so far, then maybe you're ready for step two. So that's all I've got at this stage. Um, if anyone has any questions about uh, step two, feel very free to, to post them in a private message to me in the chat function. If you're calling in, if you're calling in from the UK, um, uh, then you can text uh, Emma and she'll pass them on to me. And if you are calling from Israel, you can text uh, Elisheva or Osher and they'll pass them on to me. If you're calling from someone else, then just try your luck. Just just text anyone, see what happens. So I'm going to ask the other speakers to come in on this topic. Uh, so uh, Emma, would you like to start us off? Hi, <clears throat> thank you for that, Tim. Hi, I'm Emma, um, a grateful member of Essanon. Um, so came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. For me, accepting I was insane, ooh, that was really hard. I mean, come on, I'm the Anon, I'm not the addict. That was my thinking at the time. Um, and then I'd already done step one, and I had the unmanageability, I had the powerlessness, and I put them together. And seeing that on paper, seeing that with my sponsor, I began to see the complete insanity in my life. But it took step one to lead me to step two very much. I saw how insane my reactions were, how crazy they were sometimes, how powerless I was and still am. Um, again, how unmanageable my life was, is sometimes. So finding a place of sanity, not going back to those destructive behaviors over and over, because boy, did I try. I tried everything, you name it, I would try it. Shouting, nagging, screaming, crying, begging, I would just keep trying because something's got to work. This time, I'll have the key to know what to say to him. That will change everything. Um, insanity. It felt a bit like Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole. I would kind of sink down into it and put him with me often. So I tried for years for this sanity um, on my own. I came to program and suddenly I saw a sanity that I never knew existed. I walked into these rooms and I heard words with, from people who were going through similar things to me and there was a calmness and a peace to them and there was sanity to them and like this is it 
this is what I have been looking for. Um, this is what I need to do. This is what I I can see would work. If it works for them, it's got to work for me, right? And my sponsor at the time kept telling me that. If it works for them, why can't it work for you? Why can't it? Sanity was this like empowering and, and understanding, a practice of doing the next right thing, no matter what's going on for me. Um, there was also this sanity that suggested I didn't take on the problems of the world. Um, I didn't spend hours doing for others what they could do for themselves. Sanity was waking up in the morning. This is what I heard. Peaceful. Can you imagine? Waking up peaceful. Not having worried all night. Being restful when I wake up. Not anxious, but restful. <clears throat> sanity was a serenity prayer for me, just as was said before by Tim. It was the knowing what I can and cannot change. Change what I believe, what I think about, and what I do. Knowing what I can't, that was a big deal for me. One of the questions, actually, I was asked at the time was about letting God and letting letting go, yeah, letting go and letting God. What does it mean to me? And it kind of that helped me in this step because it kind of brought, bridged a little bit the gap between sanity and coming to believe. Saying I can't, the first step and the beginning of insanity. He can, the second step. So I say let go. I can't. I see I can't. Let God, the second step, he can, if I am willing to let him. I struggled with letting him. And this was really difficult for me. I came from a, I'm religious. Of course, I'm going to be able to let God. I know he exists. I really, I came to this room. I heard, came to believe. And I thought, wait, I have this. I don't need help with this. I'm a religious person. I don't need to be told to come to believe. I was completely wrong. I thought I had it down. I thought, this is this this I don't really need to even do the second step let's skip the second step let's go to the third I've got this but it wasn't really like that um it says it was quoted before God is or he isn't okay I accepted that he is I got that yet it was a big yet for me um I don't want to let go of everything I didn't want him to bring me to sanity for everything um, I saw the others had peace I saw in the meetings how amazing their recovery was I saw what I wanted and yet there was something hanging on to me and like had my claw nails into it I don't want to let go of everything I want to let go of everything and it was something that kept coming up for me um I wasn't ready I think it was a process for me and the joy of hearing it's okay it's a process was a big deal so it took me time to come through this step I knew I had a higher power that could do it but I was resisting I knew he was, for me, he's my creator, he's my father. I knew all this. I came to program, I saw what others were doing. I knew and I saw that it could work. Yet, I still wanted to hang on. And I really loved it that at the time, my sponsor said to me, it's okay, Emma. It's okay that this is a process for you. It's okay that you're religious and you can't do it because boy, did I beat myself up that I couldn't take this on straight away. Then she read this line for me, uh, my sponsor at the time from the big book. We are victims of the delusion. We can wrestle satisfaction and happiness out of the world if only we could manage well. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> Ouch. Um, delusions aren't true. Um, that's what I was doing. Um, and it was like this, whoa, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am delusional. I thought with sextaholism, well, part of it, I'll let God take over because it's big and I can't do everything. Obviously, I'm not God, but the other things, the worrying, the, the, the you know, making sure he's sober, I'll hang on to that because they're my, they're my thing. And 
really I couldn't I couldn't control because it was all about me really what I wanted what I needed my demands and I had to let those kind of things come to believe that he could that he could do this um and if I didn't do that I ended up back again with the restless irritable and discontent I'm back to insanity if I didn't bottom line if I wanted to stop I had to accept God can and I can't God is the answer, not me. Sanity is restored. Once I really admitted and embraced this idea that he's here, he's present, he loves me, I got somewhere slowly and with patience. And no, I'm not the most patient person, um, not by any stretch. I want everything particularly done now or preferably five minutes ago. So this was a big uh, a process that took me time and it was something I... I kind of enjoyed in a weird kind of way because it taught me an awful lot. I needed patience, that taught me something. I need people to guide me, that taught me that my sponsor was somebody I could trust and who would lead me and be patient with me and listen to me. Um, the key again and again for me was seeing the people who could, seeing her in my life, doing the things that I needed to do. I saw that she was doing it and that's what led me forward again and again and again. So like, was I all in? Uh, that's really where I was left. My old ideas didn't work. Um, I didn't want to go back to the insanity over and over and over of the destructive behaviors. It was kind of like a decision time. My choice, did I want, as Tim wrote before, a, based on a new system, a higher power, discovering peace and joy? Hey, who wouldn't want that? And I did want it. Um, finally, I heard a talk last week that kind of a, a guy called Charlie Harari. He's, he's an amazing speaker. And he said something along the lines of, and it really summed up the second step for me. Um, we live a life of do, have, be. We do something so we can have something so we can be something. Um, we have a hard time measuring something that are important in our lives. So we judge it by um, what we do, how much money we have, what we can be. But if we change that into the second step, um, Instead of do have be, it was be do have. Decide what I want to be. Decide who I want to be. And once I decide who I want to be, this person who's restored to sanity, who has God in, his, in her life to come to believe, once I'm determined that that's what I want, I start to change with determination and willingness. Um, and if I, if I do that, really an all-in attitude, I look up and see the people around me who do that, who live that way, people who are recovered, and I do what they do. And then hopefully I'll have what they have. So it's not about do have be for me, it's about be do have. And I think for me, that's the process of the second step. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Ellie Shaver, would you like to come in? And there are a couple of questions which have been posed and I, I've slimmed them down. Um, the first one is, do we have to define or redefine God as part of step two? I think the understanding is people have peculiar views of God by the time they get to the program. Um, question two, how can I tell I'm engaging in old thinking? So, Ellie Sheva, off you go. Hi, my name is Ellie Sheva. Uh, I'm a member of Essanon and Al-Anon, and I have close family members who are drug addicts and compulsive overeaters. Um, 
I came to program, I was sure that my problem was lack of knowledge. And if I just found the right words and I found the right time to say them in the right intonation, the addicts would stop acting out. And I grew up with the saying, knowledge is power. So I thought the more I learn about addiction, the more I know about the specifics of the addicts acting out, the more control I'll have over the situation. But not only did that not work, that brought me to a place of complete insanity. And I didn't like who I became as a result of, <clears throat> of trying to gain this knowledge, um, specifically around the addicts. So at some point I shifted my focus. Instead of trying to change the addict, I decided I'm gonna to try to change myself that would bring me to a place of sanity and then I'd probably be more likely to be able to change the addict. So I started taking all these classes in self-help and reading books, going for therapy, speaking to religious leaders, and everything basically stayed the same. And I, I really gave up and I was depressed. Um, by the time I got to program, I was told that my, my problem is not lack of knowledge. My, my problem is a lack of power, meaning that my problem is a lack of connection with the higher power. And that through working the steps, I can connect to my higher power. He would come into my life and he would change me. And that was a really big belief, a release, because it was clear that I couldn't change myself. And I recognized that others accessed power. I listened to a lot of shares when I got to the program, mostly from AA Online. And they all spoke about what their lives used to be like, what they did, was working the, which was working the steps as written in the big book and how their life was today, which was very different than the way they described the life before they worked the steps. And it was clear to me that people weren't making up these stories. There's no worldwide conspiracy to get me to, to work the steps. They were telling the truth about themselves. And it was clear that through working the steps, they had access to, to a higher power that was able to change them. And it was clear to me if it worked for them, that it would work for me. Because as special as I like to think that I am, what worked for millions of people over the last nine decades can certainly work for me. And I had listened to a lot of um, shares where the people seemed to me at least to be more insane than me. And if God was able to bring them to a place of sanity, clearly he can bring me to a place of sanity. And I realized that I'm capable of worship, love, and faith. Um, I always worshiped many things. I worshiped being popular, thinking that people think that I'm special, I worshiped the concept of love and what I thought was the perfect marriage. I believed that my only problem in my marriage was my husband's acting out, and I had complete faith that the second he stopped acting that out, we would live happily ever after. I had faith that I can change the addicts in my life, that I can do the same thing again and again, and at some point it would have a different result. And I had complete faith that through sheer persistence, I can change the people around me. I hit bottom before I came to program, and by the time I came here, I was all in. I couldn't postpone or evade working the steps. I worked the steps with several sponsors as quickly and as thoroughly as I could, and, and I had a spiritual awakening. And I'm still all in. I want to maintain the emotional sobriety that I got, and I have faith that there's always more emotional sobriety to gain, and I want to gain it. So um, I continue to be all in. Um, step two talks about a higher power restoring us to sanity. And so what I've listened to many shares and different definitions of insanity and sanity. And the ones that I related to was that insanity is trying to live life by fulfilling ego's desires. And for me, my ego's desires are for search for approval, appreciation, recognition, having people think I'm special. And ego's like an addiction. It, it can never be satisfied. The more I feed it, the more it wants. 
And sanity is wanting to fulfill God's will for me. And as I work the steps, God's will for me becomes clearer. Insanity is thinking that I can have serenity by imposing my will on others, that I can force my way into peaceful existence, that I can beat the addict into sobriety and have serenity. And sanity is loving and accepting everyone exactly as they are. And for me, at times, sanity was taking a step back from relationships in a loving and accepting way, and I didn't know that that was possible. I thought if I'm taking a step back, it has to be from anger. I didn't realize that there's possible to love someone, accept someone as they are, and take a step back. The big book talks about God being the director and me being the actor. And I'm the actor who wants to be the director. <coughs> so I enjoy decluttering and organizing. I find it very relaxing. And when I would look at God's world, especially the addicts, to me it looked like God's world was a mess. And I was willing to help God declutter and organize. And the place that I wanted to start the decluttering was taking out the addiction of the addicts in my family. And I believe that the end justifies the means. So if I can get what I wanted by being nice, I was willing to be nice. But if I thought that I was gonna get what I wanted through being mean, manipulative, judging, critical, threatening, yelling, then, then I was willing to go to any ends to get what I wanted. And the big book talks about a self-imposed crisis. And that was a really hard pill for me to swallow. Um, it was hard for me to accept that I was the maker of my problems, but I taught people how to treat me. I had no boundaries. I allowed people to walk all over me, and then I got angry at them for walking all over me. And I had to admit that I created my own problems. So when I looked at what I considered then the crisis of my marriage, I had to ask myself some crucial questions. Who was attracted to an active addict? Who chose to marry a person who was in active addiction? who stayed in the marriage with active addiction, who tried to control the addict over 20 years. And the answer to all of that was me. And when I looked at my children's addiction, I had to ask myself, who chose to raise these children in a home with active anonism and addiction? And who tried to forcibly change these children? And who started and got drawn into arguments with them again and again? And again, all the answers were me. So I had to admit that I created my problems. And another way that I create my problems is that I call the situation a problem. So part of my non-disease is the second that I recognize there's a problem I want to solve. And when I feel that sense of urgency, I always turn to ego to solve them because I want it solved as quickly as possible. And, and that always gets me into much deeper trouble than I had even started off with. And what I find is again and again, um, I need to develop the quality of patience. I need to stop resisting and I need to allow what needs to happen to happen. And again and again, God shows me that he has a plan and he doesn't need my input on how to improve the plan. Uh, I, my job as the actor is to carry out God's plan as he reveals it to me and follow his direction. And for that, I need power. I need the power to accept the things that I can't change and the powers of, to change the things that I can. In the big book, it says either God is everything or he's nothing. God either is or he isn't. If God isn't all-knowing and all-powerful, he's not God. And if he is all-powerful, then clearly he can restore me to sanity. And then the big book continues, what was my choice to be? And it would clearly be insane as the actor to try to be the director and to try to change the things that I can't change and to not change the things that I can. So sanity would be following the director's plan, the one who knows everything. I'll leave it at that. 
Mark, brilliant. Uh, Osha, would you like to come in? Thanks. Tim, let me know if it's too echoey. Hi, everyone. I'm Osher. Um, I, I just want to say that um, everything that everyone shared, um, I really needed to hear as well. Um, and uh, I absolutely love this step, right? This is the step where in step one, I, I sometimes have trouble with the word powerless. I'm, I'm very, um, tend to be very analytic and um, very focused. And, you know, if it's powerless, maybe I still have some power. And so I always need to remind myself that really what step one says is I have none. And, um, and, and it's not that I have less power, <laughs> that I don't have it. And, um, and so uh, I don't uh, Osha, a couple of people are struggling to hear you. I'm not sure if you can do something with the audio at your end. Thank you. Okay. I'll try getting closer, and if not, then we'll try the microphone. So, so thanks. So I was just saying that that when I look at step one, I really, it's really to me constantly remember that I, when I do step one, I have no power. And, um, and so in two, I'm essentially looking for a power um, because I don't have any. And that to me was quite a realization. And I will say that it took me a lot of years in program. Um, I thought that I was completely surrendered. I thought that I was doing everything that my sponsor told me to do and other people suggested and that I was fine. Um, and, I, and I didn't realize how much resistance I still had. So um, I share that because um, it took me a while to get to a place. Uh, Osha, the, the sound is still, the sound is actually getting worse. It, um, if you turn off your video, it may conserve bandwidth. Or if you if you switch to an audio, to, to phoning it, to dialing in, uh, what I'm going to do, see if you can, I'm going to come back to you in three or four minutes. Um, okay. And I'm just going to answer a couple of questions. And then when you come back, hopefully we'll be able to hear you better. So I just wanted to address these two questions. Do we have to redefine God or define God as part of step two? Um, so I, um, when I was growing up, we went to France a lot because my family's as French as it is English. And you talk to British people about France and you hear some very, very peculiar ideas and strange prejudices about France and the French. And now it's not to say that France and the French aren't odd, but they're not odd in quite the way that English people who've never been there think they are. It's all, it's all, and, and Americans, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Um, now the thing is, uh, all of you know people's opinions about France are worth nothing compared to going go and spend a month there, go and spend your whole summer holidays there, or even your whole summer there, and then you'll have an actual experience of France. And then once you've had the experience of the place, anything you previously thought becomes completely laughable. And I've lived in different countries. I've lived in Germany and in Russia and all sorts of places, Finland, and the experience bore no relation to the 
and what I anticipated. And the thing about the relationship with the higher power is that uh, it's all very well having an abstract idea, particularly on the basis of religion, where sometimes God can be very, very distant. So we know theoretically lots of things about attributes of God and so on. Uh, but you're going to have a very different experience having a live relationship with God. And that, that's been my experience as well, that uh, having the relationship completely blew out of the water any ideas I had about God. And so a very, what I found a very helpful thing to do with sponsees in particular is to say, well, why don't you just write everything down that you think God is and then rip up the piece of paper, make sure you don't write the actual word God or you have berries or something, uh, but, but you, you, you take your definition of God and um, rip it up it's not worth anything um uh clancy the great aa speaker in his early years of early months of recovery was living in an abandoned car in the parking lot of the aa club one of the alano clubs in los angeles and he was talking to his sponsor and he said he was start he started a sentence and he said to a sponsor, Well, in my opinion, and the sponsor said, If I wanted your opinion, I'd stick my head through the window of the disused car in the parking lot of the Alano Club and ask you for it. Um, and I think there's, there's some there's a lot of it's not very kind, but there's a lot of wisdom to that. So just set aside the I'm not a great fan of the set aside prayer, but that's for, for other reasons. Uh, but but to, to, to just quietly put on the shelf all of the old thinking and to adopt a very useful, there are two useful things I can suggest. One is on page 85, three useful things. First one, page 85 of the big book, it says something like much has already been said about receiving uh, strength, inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. So you say, well, what is the higher power? the source of all knowledge, the source of all power. Good, that's enough That's enough for five to seven years, let me tell you. Um, the second thing is to start off with the definition of the higher power as uh, um, big, strong, clever, creative, caring, and resourceful. So God is very big. God covers the entire universe. He's certainly bigger than my living room. Uh, God is strong, so whatever problem I have can be overcome. Um, God is clever. A Jesuit friend of mine says God is of above average intelligence, so things don't need to be explained as if to a child who totally gets it already. Creative, that means just because you can't see a solution doesn't mean there, is, there isn't one. Caring, which means that things turn out for the best one way or another eventually, and resourceful. So if you're completely stuck, God has got cards up his sleeve that you can't even imagine. Big, strong, clever, creative, caring and resourceful. Um, I had a third thing to say about uh, what, oh, that's it. Woman in AA, this is a story from a friend. Woman in AA um, didn't believe in God. No clue whatsoever. 
uh, when she was hoovering, vacuuming, at about a year sober, she realized there was a, a, a green chair in her living room. And that green chair, it's where she drank for 20 to 30 years. It's where she watched television. It's where she fell asleep. It's where she ate her meals. And she realized in the years that she'd been sober, she hadn't sat in the green chair once. And so she now had a new higher power. The higher power is that which keeps me out of the green chair. And that was enough for her. So, so one can start there. Anyway, I'm going to pound the baton, as it were, back to Osher to see if you, you want to continue now and see if we can hear you better. Okay, I have two options to try. So let's try this one and see if it works any better. I'll also try to speak a little bit slower. Hi everyone, I'm Osher. And so what I was trying to say before is just that for me, this is the step of hope. And um, and I'm so, so grateful to get some hope because when I came into Al-Anon, I was in a lot of pain. And um, for me, step one is, is a step that does not bring a lot of comfort. It's, um, it really shows um, me reality. And so to move on to step two for me was, was um, a relief. And, and what do I get to do in step two? Um, in step two, with regard to the question about uh, looking at a higher power and do I have to change my idea of a higher power, so my personal experience was that I needed to change the, the idea of my particular higher power. I had a punishing higher power. And I had had many higher powers. I just didn't know that I could call them higher powers. And so, or made them higher powers. And then I had turned my power over to them. Many of them were humans in the Anon programs. Others were food, alcohol, money, um, the scale, many things that that controlled me and my decisions and my feelings for a very long time. And so now I have the freedom to choose a higher power and to really take a look at what I wanted to devote myself and my life to. And, and to start to build a, fit, a faith relationship with. And to me, that was a very exciting adventure. So I did a lot of calling people and asking them, tell me about your higher power. What, what, do you, what do you envision as your higher power? What are the characteristics of your higher power? And I will also share, as was recently shared, that there are a lot of places in the paper that tell us about characteristics for our higher power that have been very helpful to me. Um, at the time, my, my sponsor suggested that I make two lists. One is my higher power is, and the other was I want my higher power to be. And I went to, you know, conferences, 12-step conferences, and listened to people, and um, someone once shared, for example, that their higher power was their best friend. And I went, oh, I want that. And so I put it on the want list, you know? And I will say that this program works, um, I didn't have actually have to do any work on the lot list, but every once in a while I would look at it, maybe once a year, maybe when a sponsee went through the second step, and I would realize that the traits that were on the lot list had become my higher power kids. And um, I was really happy to see that kind of happen. 
Um, I would say without my effort, but really I, I work the program and then my higher power does the work, right? Um, so for me, uh, step two is about having this tiny little crack. Actually visualize it as a door that's open with a little tiny bit of light coming through. And that tiny little bit of light is how much I have to come to believe in order to do this step. In other words, I just need this little tiny possibility that maybe I might actually believe that higher power will. And, um, and, and I can build on that, and higher power can build on that, and my sponsor can work with that, and so on. Um, for me, for me um, I sometimes feel like I have one leg left in, I don't know if this can really work, but I'm going to give it a try. And that leap of being willing to give it a try, for me, has always been worth it. Um, so what I've learned to do throughout the years is to trust my sponsors. Um, to trust fellows, and typically it came out of the gift of desperation. You know, I've done everything that I think I can do. I don't know what else to do. So you guys said this will work. Okay, I'll try it. And thank God I'm at a place now, and I've been for a while, where um, um, if my sponsor told me to jump off the bridge, I would jump off the bridge. You know, if that's, if that's what worked for my sponsor, then okay. Um, and it, that might sound like insanity to you, but for me, my insanity is making decisions on my own. You know, this idea of old thinking and, and someone um, uh, a question about the old thinking, how do I know if I'm an old thinking? Lots of running things by my sponsor, lots of running things by fellows in the fellowship who have what I want, and learning from those conversations and learning from, oops, I made a mistake. Maybe this wasn't a good idea. Or, hey, this worked. Um, one of the ways that I have learned to see step, step two working in my life is to recognize miracles on a daily basis. And so I have a couple of people in the program where we write to each other every morning a couple of miracles that we witnessed in the last uh, 24 hours. And it's been so helpful to see God working or higher power working um, in my life and in the lives of others. Um, I also exchange what I loved about me in the last uh, in the last 24 hours because I believe that what I love about me is stuff that my higher power was able to change in me, um, changes that I'm seeing that my higher power could, can actually do. And for me, that's proof that higher power does actually restore me and others to sanity. Um, and finally, um, I just want to say that the big book, it has made it clear for me at least that if I'm having trouble with that choice between uh, jumping off the cliff and believing that there's a higher power and that a higher power can restore any sanity versus wanting to stay in the pain and suffering that I was living in, then you're in the right place. Um, and um, I didn't see it that way for a very long time, you know. Um, I just kind of was listen to what my sponsor has to say and go, yeah, right, like that's going to work. And then I would actually do it. Now, I, I was a sponsor who I would say to my sponsor many times, really? What do I have to do? What exactly do I You know, lots of resistance, lots of questions that were not the supportive type of questions. And, um, and then I would go ahead and do it. Um, so I had a lot of service that, 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 that I gave to the, to the, um, 
to the ego and to the family disease of alcoholism before I actually did the step. But then my outcomes were that I went ahead and did it. And every single time, it proved to be helpful and um, and growing and beneficial. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Sarah Rivka, would you like to come in on question two? So how can I tell I'm engaging in old thinking? This conference is no longer being recorded. Sarah, your sound isn't working. No, it's still not. It's still not working. Ellie Shevin, would you like to come in on um, that on question two? Hi, I'm Ellie Shevin. Um, I found in the beginning I had no idea how my all thinking. Um, how I expressed my old thinking, what my old thinking was, and it, I needed to build awareness of it. Anytime I had this feeling that something was off, I needed to start taking inventory and just look at it. What, where was my mistake? What's my corrective measure? Over time, it became clear and clearer what my old thinking was, but I had no idea of it in the beginning. I thought my old thinking was healthy. That's why I kept on doing it. Um, when I, when something seemed off and I couldn't place what it was, then I ran through by someone else, either a sponsor or a friend. But, but for me, what was the most helpful was just keep on taking inventory again and again and again, becoming aware of what my old thinking was only after the situation was over. And then over time, I started becoming aware of it while it was happening and then eventually before it started taking place. Thank you. And um, we have a couple of other questions. What happens if I don't believe in God? And what happens if I don't believe in anything? So uh, I'm going to invite anyone who would like to to just send me a little message if they want to come in on those and I'll bring you in. Um, uh, but Daniel, would you like to do you have anything you can share usefully on either of those? Hi. Uh, which one specifically? Um, I mean, I was the one that asked about defining, defining God, and um, it isn't easy to kind of re to smash all of my old ideas and start from scratch. It's like my old thinking is what got me here in the first place, and, um, and and this concept of having a you know having my own conception of a higher power rather than anyone else's. I heard someone say, um, you know, that at the beginning he borrowed he borrowed his sponsor's God uh, because his sponsor's God was working for him. Um, so that's a, that, that's a process. What were the two questions that you just asked just now again, Tim? The last two things that you said? Uh, so what happens if I don't believe in God or what happens if I don't believe in anything? Um, okay, so the way that I have understood it in the process is that, and I heard this from Charlie and from Joe and Charlie as well, the way that they explain it, is that we all have something deep inside of us that knows kind of the difference between right and wrong. It's this spiritual part of us 
that connects to enough, the enough understanding that this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing. That, that's kind of what, what brought me to recovery in the first place because I was uncomfortable with what I was doing before that, with the way that I was reacting, the way that I was reacting to people, uh, the way that I was reacting to situations, and the way that I was addicting as well. And, um, and getting in touch with that core part of me, that just that voice inside me, deep inside me, that just knows what's right. And that's a, that's a good enough starting point to have a relationship with the higher power. Because from what I understand and how I'm slowly building that relationship, uh, I don't get to God from outside of me. Even though I see his miracle, the, the miracle that he does by being present in the room and seeing how everyone else um, has had that solution and has that power, especially recovered people. And the miracle, I myself build that relationship with God from deep, deep inside of me. And that's a growing relationship, as someone else said. It's an evolving process. This isn't something overnight. I'm not going to have that spiritual depth uh, three and a half years into recovery that I'm going to have in, uh, in 10 years of recovery. Um, or in 20 years of recovery, it's, it's the same thing like it's emotional maturing. I'm now really only six years old emotionally from that gap between three and 40 when I came into recovery. So that growth of uh, emotionally maturing and gaining emotional sobriety, it's a process that takes time and I will build that relationship with my higher power over that time. So I don't need to believe in anything at all to know that there's a deep down inside me, there's a part of whatever I want to call it, of good, of right. And I can start from there at least. Thank you. Um, we're going to carry on a little bit after 11 o'clock. If you can't stay, we understand. Um, but there are some more people who'd like to come in. So I'm going to suggest a three minute cap on sharing time uh, just to get everyone in. So uh, Tracy, would you like to come in on any or all of those questions. Tracy? Okay, Tracy, I may come back to you. Evan, would you like to come in? I'm muted. Hi, Evan. I'm here. Where'd Tracy go? Okay, Tracy, can you come back in? Sorry, I was troubled. Um, I was just saying that um, in my family, I had two, I was raised with two active um, alcoholics and addicts with no religion. And I was taught that everything outside of my family was dangerous and nothing outside of my family was safe. And for me, I needed to um, reframe, I needed to separate that my parents gave me light and God, I had to separate the fact that my parents were not gods because they made themselves gods in my family. And so I needed to separate my parents out and make them parents and allow the possibility of God. And for me, um, it was a lot about reframing because um, originally I thought, well, how could God put me in this situation with these two crazy parents? Um, and 
I grew up in constant fear and danger. And, you know, um, I was recently talking to my sponsor and saying, well, yeah, my dad was drunk around guns, tractors, boats, and cars. And how we all lived through it, I don't know. And then we both started laughing and, we, and I said, God, that's how all of us lived through it. Because God was there. He was there protecting me and my siblings um, in, during that time. So for me, it's like going back and reframing, you know, reframing and, and questioning, you know, um, that those events in my life where um, I allowed other people to feel that the other people were all, the all-powerful and realizing actually um, in those moments, there was another all-powerful uh, uh, energy going on there that was keeping me safe and brought me to this program and um, and and to people like you in this meeting. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to give a, a very brief technical answer to the question about someone that doesn't believe in anything. Uh, or doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in anything. The chapter, We Agnostics, is written brilliantly to precisely address this question. Um, and you start at the level, do I believe that Susan, who goes to my home group, is sober? Yes or no? Is she sober or is she lying? Okay, so you believe that she's sober and you gradually work from there. If you work through the chapter systematically, it bypasses those two questions brilliantly. Uh, Evan, would you like to come in? I'm muted. Hi, I'm Evan, a grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, so there's a saying that if you want to go to the groups that talk the most about God in AA, you go to the atheist groups. Um, so my experience here, um, having worked with people both in Al-Anon and in, in a couple of different A programs, is the first thing I need to ask myself is, do I not believe in God, or am I just really, really, really angry at God, and I don't want to believe in God because I'm so angry at Him? Um, and 90 to 95% of the time, my experience is people are just too angry at God to believe in a concept of a God that wants what's best for them and, and loves them. Um, and that's, as I mentioned, is just a hump to get over. Um, it's just changing a, a viewpoint. Um, for those who really have thought it through and on an intellectual level uh, are atheists, um, there happen to be a, a lot of very good uh, books um, that can help uh, find a different higher power that doesn't conform to the Judeo-Christian Muslim uh, version of God. Um, obviously there are Hindus in uh, and Buddhists in AA and in various Anon programs and their concept of a higher power doesn't fit into the same uh, rubricon as, as those of us who, who grew up in a more Western religious uh, milieu. So um, if you're interested in 
finding a higher power because you have a, a an intellectually have a, come to a, an atheistic point of view or a, a non uh, or a, a religious tradition that doesn't have a doesn't use that that's that biblical or Quranic viewpoint of God, then there there happens to be a, a lot of, uh, uh, of of literature out there that that can help. Uh, feel free to text me if you would like some uh, some pointers. Um, as far as not believing in anything, uh, as as Tim mentioned, the uh, the big book goes very goes into depth about you really do you just aren't willing to admit it so we'll leave it there thank you thank you uh michal would you like to come in on the question of uh on any of the questions hi thank you i'm michal i'm a member of al-anon SNON, and a few other non-programs um anyway i I guess uh, my experience of of God in this program is sort of like the spiritual awakening that happens when you go through the steps and um, when you see these awesome awarenesses. It's like I, I didn't do that. That was that was um, you know my whole life. For, for example, my first spiritual awakening happened when I did my first fourth step, fifth, fourth and fifth step. And, uh, you know, I had been living a certain way for so long with tons of different tools thrown at me different at different angles, but a lot of resentments had built up. So, you know, when I get a spiritual, got a spiritual awakening, it was like, you know, just putting things, looking at the facts, and then looking at my part and then allowing God to, to let me see it, then that was, that was um, just sort of um, awing for me. So in my, you know, I think it's, you know, if anyone's questioning God, believing in the higher power, like just go through the steps first and see what happens number one. And number two, um, steps one, two, three, I'm very excited to get to step three next week because I love that step. But um, I find that because I've gone through the steps, like it's sometimes just doing talking with God and sitting with God and, um, on steps one, two, three is sometimes enough. It just, just um, for example, last night I had, I had a very serious moment and I had to leave the house just to go for a walk and I find that it's very helpful to be in nature whether it's even in in public like in city city nature because if, when you look at the sky and we look at big buildings and we look at millions of people whatever it is whatever awing experiences so it helps me to see that there is a power greater than myself when I'm sitting in my house um, with with no distractions or with just the internet in front, whatever it is, it's very easy to be sucked into myself and my own issues and whatever. If I can go out into the world and in nature, I find like that. Then I can then I can talk to God 
not that I'm talking to the sky, but I'm talking to the honest of, of God created the sky, and that it's like huge, right? So if he created the sky, so like, of course he's going to help me solve this problem. He created the sky. So anyway, so that's like a whole, I'm not going to get into that whole creation. We're just talking about a power that we greater than ourselves, but um, just giving some tips and somebody did mention it takes time and I find like if I'm patient with myself and I allow God in, then, um, then God does come in. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. I, we're running out of time for today, so I'm going to pause today at that. Uh, the materials uh, for today, including the recording, will be, well, the materials are all, already on the blog. Um, the uh, recording will come onto the blog, hopefully, within the next half 